This is Talking Pictures. Hello and welcome to Talking Pictures, your essential guide to the movies with me, Frida Cooper. Well, the long weekend's over and the chocolate's finished and it's time to get back to normal. So I'll be taking a quick look backwards at last week's new releases and a more detailed look at the newbies for this week, like their finest. Hello. Hello. It's just that the caption at the end's going to be, he's not listening, but the enemy might be. It's a joke for women who think their husbands never pay attention. So if you start answering her, well, the caption won't make sense. I wrote it, the scenario. I'll be in my dressing room, if anyone needs me. And Gemma Arterton is in the hot seat for this week's big interview. On DVD, it's hero time with a real hero. He's played by Tom Hanks. His name is Sully. Mayday, 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 this is Cactus 1549. Hit birds, we've lost thrust on both engines. We are turning back towards the Guardian. Which engine did you lose? Both, both engines. Plus, there's the new top five at the British box office and the latest movie news headlines, all in the next 20 minutes. So first up, it's this week's new releases, and I'm starting with Their Finest, released on Friday, Certificate 12A. This is set amongst the writers who worked on the propaganda films for the Ministry of Information during World War II. I'll take a closer look at the film in just a moment. First, though, it's this week's big interview. Phoebe Winters asking the questions, Gemma Arterton is in the hot seat. And she starts by talking about what appealed to her about her role. I thought that she was a regular person, you know. Um, I think it's so important to tell stories about regular people as well as extraordinary people. She is extraordinary in her as well, but um, she's a regular girl that you could bump into in the street. I like that about her. I think often with with female-centric films, the woman is sort of this kind of you know, wow woman, you know, like a power woman, superwoman or something. Whereas actually it's so refreshing to read a part where you think, well, that could be me or it could be my friend or it could be my, you know, sister. Or So I really loved her and um, and she's very gentle and for me that's a, quite a new type of thing to be doing. <laughs> In the film, it's a given that she'll be paid less than the men, which sadly rings true today. To what extent have you seen the film industry change, especially as you've started your own production company? Well, now people are talking about the issues, which means that people can't really shy away from them anymore. And I think women are certainly becoming more confident in bringing those subject matters up. I I personally would, would, would ask now, you know, what's my male counterpart getting... But, you know, I think it's changing. I'm really encouraged by how it's changing. There's more initiative to get more women in, I mean, just from talking about my industry, behind the camera, more female writers, more female directors. So brilliant what the uh, BFI and uh, are doing to kind of get more young female directors behind the camera. And this new thing that BAFTA has done, which is to say that if you don't have equal, a balanced crew, you you can't kind of be considered for best British film, which is going to change everything. 
Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed uh, seeing Catherine and Ambrose's relationship develop on screen. Apparently, flattery will get you everywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Catherine knows that, doesn't she? She's clever. Um, how enjoyable was it to collaborate with the wonderful Bill Nye? Oh, just a joy. He is so special and and he brings such charisma and and individuality and there's something so absolutely bill uh, about even with playing Ambrose you know he is perfect there isn't really anyone else that could have done it and uh, for me it was just easy I I just had to react off him you know Uh, and he's such a gen he's such a gentleman and uh, a real pleasure to work with. And Catherine has such a great rapport with Buckley, played by Sam Claflin. How do you go about creating that on-screen chemistry with him? Apparently he's calling you his new best friend. Ah, that's so sweet. Yes, yeah, we all are friends. It's sort of like a brother and sister kind of relationship we have. Um, I think it was one of those things we just get on, you know. You can't really kind of determine who you're going to have chemistry with. You either do or you don't. And, And luckily Sam and I do and um, I think you know that's also down to the casting there had been a couple of things that we'd been sort of put together on which didn't happen and I think you know it was only a matter of time before we kind of worked together Um, I think the casting directors out there were like those two would get on but I just love working with him and he is so good in the film he really is and uh, and it was just he made it so easy for me I wish we had more stuff to do together. Never know. Maybe we'll do something else together. Well, it's nice to hear that she and Sam Claflin got along so well together. For me, though, it didn't really translate onto the screen. Alterton is a new recruit at the Ministry of Information, taken on to give their propaganda films a more feminine touch, or, as Claflin puts it, right the slop. She turns out to be rather good at it, and as she immerses herself in a film about Dunkirk, she wins the respect of her colleagues, including an ageing actor and the attention of one of the writers. Now, the film is a winner in the charm stakes, but little more than a runner-up when it comes to everything else. With one exception, though, and I'll come on to that in a moment. About halfway through the film, Sam Claflin wonders if he's giving his audience something worth an hour and a half of their time. And if you've not been asking yourself the same question by that point, you certainly are now. It's a film that has plenty going for it. The cast, Lone Scherfig as its director, and a strong sense of period. But it does keep losing its way, and that romance between Claflin and Alterton is terribly unconvincing. On the occasions where the film does hit the spot, it works like a charm. It just doesn't do it often enough. As well as Arterton and Claflin, the cast includes the likes of Jeremy Irons, Richard E. Grant and Eddie Marson, although only some of them get a real chance to show what they're made of. Helen McCrory is a knockout as Bill Nye's razor-sharp agent, but it's Nye who steals the show from start to finish as the past-his-sell-by-date actor. His character also appears in the Dunkirk film and it's a thick slice of honey roast. He doesn't need mustard on the side. Their finest is charming and it looks good, but there's very little in the way of substance underneath. All I can say is thank goodness for Bill Nye. To present day New York now and a less than conventional vampire in the Transfiguration. I think when you first start out being a vampire, all the all this stuff you see in the movies doesn't really matter. Like, you can go out in the sun, and you can eat garlic, and I don't even think the church stuff is even true. 
Like maybe to religious vampires, you know? And I don't think you get bit. I think it's like a, it's like a disease you get. Wow. Which book is this? It's not a book. It's just how I think it is. Eric Ruffin holding forth to Chloe Levine on his favourite subject in the Transfiguration released Friday Certificate 15. And he'd know all about vampires. Not only does he have a huge movie collection and books by the ton on the subject, but he is one. Well, sorts. Now, two teenagers meeting up sounds like a coming-of-age movie, and that's part of what this is about. But really, what it aims to do is to take the vampire genre somewhere new, and that's all done through the character of Milo. He lives on a tough New York estate, is withdrawn, he's bullied at school, and he has a definite taste for blood, the human kind. Not that he has any of the other accoutrements of a vampire, the fangs, a cloak or bats whizzing around, but he does like his monthly blood fix. His new friend Sophie is equally solitary, although it takes her some time to cotton on to the fact that he isn't quite like other boys. And by that time, we're wondering if she's going to be his next victim. Stranger things have happened. It's an atmospheric thriller that bends the vampire genre and takes it into a more contemporary, urban direction. Eric Ruffin is impressively restrained as Milo, only smiling once and never, ever laughing during the film. And the cinematography strengthens the sombre, menacing atmosphere. It's as gritty as the New York setting, but as we watch Milo at a distance through a car window or round a corner, it feels like we're stalking him, and that gives the film some real edge. The Transfiguration is the debut feature from director Michael O'Shea, and while it's not quite on the same level as last month's surprise horror hit Get Out, it treads a similar path. And uh, where do vampire movies go now? Well, for Milo, certainly not in the Twilight direction. He eventually gives them a try, thanks to Sophie's recommendation. Inevitably, though, they're not realistic enough for him. You're listening to Talking Pictures. To Finland for the final new release this week, The Happiest Day in the Life of Oli Mekki, released Friday Certificate 12A, and inevitably there's no clip. Now, this may win the prize for the most cumbersome title of the week, but the film itself is anything but. It's a boxing biopic, but one that manages to elegantly dance around all the conventions and cliches of boxing movies and give us something different. It's August 1962 and Oli Mekki has a shot at the world featherweight title. He's an unassuming, small-down guy who's less than comfortable with all the attention he gets from the press and just about everybody else. And try as he might, his mind isn't totally on the match because he's fallen in love. She's a local girl, she teaches young children and has a taste for the same simple pleasures as he does, skimming stones in the lake. It's beautifully shot in black and white, gets most of its gentle humour from Ollie's awkwardness when he's in the limelight and gives us a hugely charming portrait of somebody who's a gifted boxer, loves his sport, but doesn't see it as the most important thing in his life. 
This won the Uncertain Regards strand at Cannes last year. It's only in a few cinemas, but you should be able to find it online as well. And it is seriously worth the effort. This is Talking Pictures. While Talking Pictures took a break last week to overindulge in some chocolate, the new releases did not stop coming. Roaring onto the big screen came Fast and Furious 8, or The Fate of the Furious if you're in the States, the latest from Vin Diesel, Dwayne Johnson and their family. It's as you would expect. Car crash heaped on car crash, preposterous, ridiculous and hugely entertaining fun. Jim Broadbent starred in The Sense of an Ending, a thoughtful film about a man shaken out of his complacency by a bequest in a will. Park Chan-wook returned with The Handmaiden, a brilliantly seductive corkscrew of a thriller. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was re-released to mark Jack Nicholson's 80th birthday. It's on the 22nd if you're thinking of sending a card. And it looked as fresh and as relevant as ever. And the Hatton Garden job was all about boring into an underground vault. And boring is the word. You're listening to Talking Pictures. Sully, don't worry, you did a great thing. It's going to be remembered for a very long time. It's a funny thing. I delivered a million passengers over 40 years in the air, but in the end, I'm going to be judged on 208 seconds. Come on, tomorrow's going to be a good day. Computer sims will prove you were right. We can all put our wings back on. And the first of this week's DVDs is based on true events. In 2009, a flock of geese hit a plane after it left LaGuardia Airport in New York, and its captain, Chesley Sullenberger, landed it on the Hudson River. Sully lands on DVD this week with Tom Hanks in the title role and Clint Eastwood in the director's chair and it's a real crowd pleaser. Eastwood has drawn from Paul Greengrass's United 93 by including some of the real people involved in the events of that freezing January day. And he's also drawn from Ron Howard's Apollo 13 because he faces the same dilemma. How to make a film about a story that everybody knows but give it some tension. And what he does is to give the audience what they know, the story of how Sullenberger landed the plane and saved the lives of all 155 people on board, but also give them a different perspective, aspects of the story they may not have known or couldn't imagine. It isn't all about the crash. There's the inquiry that most people weren't even aware of, set up to determine if Sullenberger made a mistake. And the panel seem hell-bent on proving he did the wrong thing, but their over-reliance on technology with no room for human skills and intuition proves to be their downfall. It's a solid, sincere, well-researched film, and like one of the first responders says, nobody dies today. More true events, but this time in the 19th century. This is Nate Parker's The Birth of a Nation. Oh, Lord, I slept too late. Mama, you won't have to work today. You're free. The battle's begun, Mom. It was wrong. Nothing. I'm proud of you. This is inspired by the story of Nat Turner, who was born into slavery in Virginia. By the standards of the day, his owner was enlightened in the way he treated his slaves. But when his fortunes changed, so did his attitudes. And it all sets off a chain of events which have a profound effect on Turner, changing him from an advocate of peace into the leader of the first slave rebellion. 
Now, you can't fault Parker for his commitment to this project. He's director, writer, producer and star, and the film's sincerity really shows. Comparisons with Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave are inevitable, but even though they both examine slavery, they are very different films. McQueen made something profoundly moving and shocking, but with subtlety and delicacy. Parker's film is just as angry, but roars its rage from the rooftops and does it so loudly that it almost drowns out what he's trying to say. The importance of the subject weighs so heavily on the film's shoulders that it becomes heavy going and the overpowering soundtrack doesn't help matters. Yet, despite being melodramatic and clumsy at times, there is no doubting its ambition and its passion. These qualities, though, are just pushed to the background as Parker beats his audience over the head with his message. The result for the audience is frustration, a headache and disappointment. The movie that it could have been is always just out of reach. The final DVD this week brings us back to the present day. It's mine. Wait, where are you going? And why are you walking like that? Do you know where the mines are? Because... I'm standing on one. I'm on a mine, so there's no next step for me. And that's Army Hammer's predicament in mine. He's a marine out in the desert. He's walked into a minefield and he's stood on one. If he moves, well, you get the picture. And it's going to take at least 52 hours for the rescue mission to get to him. Now, we're reasonably used to films about solitary men pitched against the worst that the natural world can chuck at them, like The Revenant and All is Lost. But there's a nice twist here in that the nub of the problem is actually man-made. Trouble is, the film bogs itself down with some heavy-handed philosophy and most of the tension goes out of the window. It's left to Hammer to hold things together and he does a pretty decent job. It's thanks to him that we stay with it. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. With Frida Cooper. And that's this week's lineup and last week's new releases as well. Choosing a film of the week from this week's new biz has been a little bit tricky, but I've actually gone for the one with the longest title. Let's just call it Ollie Mecky. It's beautiful, a little knockout if you like, and so worth tracking down. Whether any of the new releases will make it into the box office top five next week, well, that's a bit debatable. I'd like to think that the transfiguration might just squeeze in, but it's a big ask because it's only at around 100 cinemas. As for this week, well, let's check out the new top five at the British box office. So two new entries this week and they are bookending the top five. Straight in at number five is Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden, a sumptuous and seductive piece of cinema. At number four, it's Peppa Pig, while at number three, it's Beauty and the Beast. The Boss Baby is down to second place because, of course, there is a new number one. And nobody's in the least bit surprised that it's Fast and Furious 8. Thanks to your botched Berlin job, you all made Interpol's top ten most wanted list. Top ten? Mm-hmm. That's all right. Well, I, not you, Roman. What do you mean? You just missed the cut. You're number 11. I'm? I missed? Yeah. That's impossible. What number did they come in at? Six, eight, nine, ten. She's ten? Mm-hmm. That's impossible. There's no way she's a ten. Oh, she's definitely a ten. <laughs> 
In this week's movie news headlines, Sundance London has announced its opening film. It's Beatrice at Dinner, which stars Salma Hayek and John Lithgow. And the festival kicks off on Thursday the 1st of June... I'll be there for Talking Pictures. And James Gunn has confirmed that he'll be writing and directing Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which rather saves him being asked the same question over and over again. And that's all for this week's Talking Pictures. On next week's show, something I've been looking forward to for ages, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Cue Rocket Raccoon and baby Groot. Now repeat back what I just said. I am Groot. No! No, that's the button that will kill everyone! Try again. I am Groot. Mm Mm-hmm. I am Groot. Uh Uh-huh. I am Groot. No! While on DVD, it's only the end of the world. Rather appropriate when you think about it. Plus, there's the new top five at the British box office and the latest movie news headlines. I'll be back with another edition of Talking Pictures next week. Until then, enjoy the movies! (laughs) 